0: friends and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn podcast this is your host Ashley Stoll. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, Forbes blogger, speaker, and now author of my own career book that has just released for pre-order on Amazon. You can probably guess the name as it's also called U-turn spelled Y O U T U R N. This book is all about getting unstuck, discovering your direction and designing your dream career. I created the U-turn podcast and wrote the U-turn book, With this goal of helping you reconnect to who you truly are and upgrading your confidence in work and in love. So if you're looking to get even more clarity beyond the podcast and even the book on where you belong in the workforce, or you want to make a career pivot, or just explore your purpose overall, we have a brand new free quiz to help you out with that. Just head on over to ashleystall.com if you want to take it. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com for the free quiz. Also, I'm really excited to finally let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Organifi. I have fallen so in love with their smoothie protein, their chocolate, their vanilla, and also their green juice drink. I have both of these products every single day, and after years of declining and dodging sponsorship, because I didn't wanna feel sticky promoting something to you, I decided that their products were so good, so transformative for my health and my morning routine, that I reached out to them and asked if they wanted to sponsor the U-Turn show. So if you are inspired to upgrade your health during these uncertain times and you want products to add into your routine throughout the day, I just can't recommend them enough. I was able to get you a discount code for 15% off when you check out. All you gotta do is head on over to Organifi.com backslash U-Turn. It's spelled Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com backslash you t-u-r-n make sure you enter the code u-turn at checkout on their website and now let's dive in to this week's episode
1: when you can transmute alchemize whatever kind of word you want to use the pain and the learnings from the relationship and use the wisdom that's garnered in that experience to create a better version of you, to create a person who relates differently. So when the relationship itself and the person become actually a reason you're a better person today, you will no longer hold on to it.
0: going on u-turn friends obviously i needed to have one of my good friends back on the show because you all love him and i especially do as well it's mark groves on instagram at create the love and he has some of the best relationship advice i've ever seen and he's just very fun to listen to saying the most ridiculous things that are somehow so true he also is the founder of a brand new app called Mind. So make sure you check it out. It's something like Peloton um, meets wellness. It's all of these different experts that are providing live stream content to you. So powerful, so transformational. He is the ultimate connection specialist, which is why I want to talk to him about the Phantom X. I think that most people when they get quiet at night and radically honest with themselves they kind of realize like maybe there's some ex that you thought was the one who got away or you, you reference them when you're having fights with your partner or, or disconnects. And I want to just debunk that and help you release that with Mark. So thanks for coming back on the show, my
1: friend. Oh, thanks for having me back on. I always love talking with you. So I appreciate you uh, bringing me back.
0: Yeah. You're, I feel like you are like a human in demand right now with so much creation that you're doing. How do you stay so energized and creative?
1: (laughs) I don't, (laughs) I don't, uh, you know, that's my secret. Don't try to do that. Uh, you know, I think it's a lot of, I really only try to do work that I enjoy and I can start to feel my, you know, when you're doing things you love, you get energized by doing them. And when you, of course, all work can start to feel like work, you know, so I'm not, I'm not free of that consequence as well. So as soon as work starts to feel that way, that's when I start to shift to, I might shift to what work do I want to do? What does that look like? How do I get there? If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know that not everybody necessarily like experiences that with work. And that's something I've kind of come to as a career person is that sometimes purpose is out so outside of work and you just kind of bring that energy to your work. Like, is there something that you've been doing creatively outside of work that you feel like has really helped you?
1: Hmm. Well, hiking, hiking, any sort of time in nature, surfing, all of that stuff is really the only way that I can even keep my sanity, especially, you know, current, given the current global climate in, and that's in so many different ways that, that there's really a a sort of collective state of anxiety. And so the things that are, The things that we need most in times of change and uncertainty are usually the things we get rid of first, which is unfortunate. You know, things like nutrition, health, uh, exercise, mindfulness, all the things that are staples to being able to relate well, but also to be able to be in our own bodies, to be in our own environment, which when given, you know, life is always uncertain, but it's really explicitly uncertain currently. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really inviting us all to learn practices that allow us to stay present and to use things like writing, like art, uh, things that we might not have done before. We, you know, we're all trained to be in our heads. And so when we start to, you know, my birth of creativity was starting to build furniture because I couldn't afford the thing I wanted from restoration hardware. So I Googled, Mm -hmm. how do you build something that looks like that? And then all of a sudden I'm like, God, I love building furniture. And all of a sudden I untapped this whole other side of me that had been castrated since I was a kid because, you know, you're taught, get a job that pays this amount. Don't do that job because it's not prestigious or it won't make you a good provider or you won't be able to take care of yourself or whatever that is. And, you know, it's an opportunity for us to, to explore that we might be good at things we'd never gave ourselves credit for.
0: Yeah, totally. It's, it's such a reminder. I think like we're all little kids inside and when we follow those little nudges and find breadcrumbs, it's like either the right thing is right in front of your face or kind of on the sidelines, like that kind of inspiration.
1: Yeah and so much of our thought is that you know if i if i try that thing and it's not it's not the thing it's a failure and now i have to start over not realizing that you actually just gathered more information and now you have that thing checked off so you're not back at step 1 you're at step 4 you know and we think of things as either this new beginning as opposed to like a collective experience, which I think we think about that relationally too. like that relationship ended. Now I'm starting again. No, you're not. You're starting, you're continuing with so much more knowledge. If you're willing to look at it, if you're willing to look at your challenges relationally, you are always growing and expanding, which means you're not repeating anything. You're not starting over. You're getting better.
0: Yeah. So true. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, one of my best friends, she just started dating again and got out of a relationship and she came to my house this past weekend and she's like, can we look at hinge the dating app together? But can you do it with me? Cause it stresses me out that I'm hoping.
1: <laughs>
0: and I was noticing that, you know, like having been in my partnership now a year and a half and kind of raising my own bar for myself and the standards that I hold as a person for who I want to be in the world, it almost led me to look at the app differently. Like I noticed myself reading what the answers were that guys put on there for her to choose from versus looking at like, do they have this kind of job or do they look this kind of way? It was like, there's so much more soul in the way that I was looking at it. And I can tell that that is from the growth that I've had. And so I can, I I so see what you're saying. And I also know that one area that people stay stuck, like we were talking about is exes. And I'm always kind of curious, like how somebody can actually release them for once and for all, because it feels kind of like, I don't know, like years later, people are holding on. Like, do you have any thoughts on why we do this? Like, why are we holding on to the Phantom X?
1: Ah, oh, the Phantom X. I think we've all, you know, I've certainly been, uh, it's funny, I'm going to say it. I've certainly been a victim to that. Uh, <laughs> you know, the old Phantom yeah. X move, you know, in a lot of ways, it does upper limit us. You know, it doesn't allow us to open up to new love and actually not in a lot of ways. It certainly does that. And it does that really from an unconscious space. It protects us from getting hurt again. You know, in the research, it's shown that as soon as you start comparing your partner to a real or imagined alternative, it is often the beginning of the end.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, for me, the real processing that is necessary there is that we haven't actually explored and let go and forgiven, whether it's them or or, and ourselves. And so that's why the story is still perpetuating in our mind. There's still something in there that's incomplete. And Mm -hmm. it's often incomplete because we're actually avoiding the actual ending, the actual letting go, the actual. And so we might even be in a new relationship but this prevents us from actually opening up again. And so there's there's really a, prote- We're we're brilliant at coming up with unconscious ways to protect ourselves from getting hurt that just seem like, yeah, but everyone does it. Everyone has an ex that they think about. Sure, you could think about your exes from a positive perspective, even being like, oh, that person wasn't so great. But does it hold you back? Does it have a feeling in your body when you do it? You know, for me, I think about my exes and I'm like, they're all wonderful people, you know, it's complete.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And what do you think happens on that bridge from longing and fantasizing and holding on to oh, this is complete? Like, are there a few shifts in the mind that happen or processes that you see people going through that seem to lighten that load?
1: yeah for sure you know there's a i created a breakup course that was all of it's all about processing through five weeks you process the ending of the relationship but it's not just and you can be at any process in that it could be two years later it could be five years later it's the point of it is to take you through the five stages of grief and at the same time i paired them with the five stages of growth that i created in in unison with it and the idea is
0: So would you say that anybody who's holding on to an ex, there's like some lesson or some opportunity for them to become the person that they were, I don't know, not, I don't want to say supposed to be, but the person that they could be like the next version of them that they haven't yet crystallized or something like that from the person they're holding on to?
1: A hundred percent, a hundred percent that... In holding on to it, they're actually not allowing themselves their their growth. They're actually holding themselves back. They're also not bringing their fully expressed possible self to their relationships moving forward. Also, you got to think like energetically when you're dating and you're still thinking about your ex, you give off a different energy. There's no doubt about that. And if we're dating someone who still has something with an ex, you can kind of feel it. You know, you can kind of feel like mm, there's something that still needs to be complete there.
0: Mm, wow, that's so interesting. I, I never thought about it. Like, they just haven't necessarily gotten the growth message that has needed to land yet for them to let them go. And what about just the reality that, like, one thing I learned through dating before I kind of got committed right now was like every guy kind of felt like a different planet for me. Like, it was like, oh, this guy's planet has a lot of traveling and a lot of wellness food. And then this guy's planet, you know, he lives in the suburbs with a house and a dog, and he's very grounded. And he like watches football. You know what I mean? Like everybody kind of has such a different world. Is it possible that you just liked certain things from the last person that you're not getting with the next one? Because I know certain friends are like, oh, I miss you know so and so, and he was like a jet setter, and they just had a lot of fun traveling. But ultimately, they're with somebody who's a lot better of a fit for them. Like, where do you draw that line of like the message hasn't been received versus like? oh, there's something from that last person that I really yearn for in my current connection.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're making a really great point, which is it's okay to grieve things. Like it's okay to grieve that you no longer are in that relationship having that type of experience. And I would then inquire, are you bringing that need into this relationship? Like, is that a deal breaker for you or was it a nice to have?
0: Mm. You know, because
1: often... With the new person, let's you know. Often, when we enter a relationship right after one has ended, they tend to be the opposite of our previous partner, Mm. and that's designed, right? Like, because the previous person, let's say, was wild and whatever, and now we're dating someone who's more conservative and more not as adventurous. But we realize that the it's always about the middle, you know. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. never about the extremes, and so. Again, I would inquire like, what is it about that you're longing for that is preventing you from actually creating that in your current container, you know, and, and if adventure is actually a deal breaker must have in your relationships, which I don't know how that can't be, you know, in a lot of ways, depending how you define adventure, yeah. uh, then you in a relationship where that's not there, you're going to forever feel like there, there's something missing.
0: It's so funny that you say that because I had a client in my practice and adventure was for him. And I was like, define it. And he's like skydiving, like, and then another client was like, rest, trying new restaurants in New York is what adventure is to me. So this is
1: like <laughs> right, right. So it's so
0: different.
1: It's so subjective. And that's what I mean. Like you need new experiences. New experiences are essential to keep any relationship alive because that we associate the new experience with our partner and that keeps newness alive because then we're actually creating new memories. We're not, you know, date night to be the same date that you do the same thing every week. Sure, you'll get some benefit from that. But in the research, when you do something that is new for one or both of the partners, the relational satisfaction actually goes much higher. And they're, from, a bio, uh, from a biological point of view, that's because you have neurohormones that are being released that are you know, dopamine and things that are like new, right? It's about newness. And that's what keeps the honeymoon phase going in some sense.
0: Mm, that's so interesting. And, um, when we kind of look back at our relationships that maybe we have some sort of longing and we haven't grabbed the lesson yet to like kind of land into moving on and growing, how do you recommend people kind of take a look at their relationships? Because to me, I would say, okay, well, what, what do you miss from the past that you don't necessarily feel like you're getting now? Can you write those down as opportunities? But how does somebody kind of like reflect on their relationship with the intention of letting it go and growing if they're still holding on?
1: Yeah. I mean, one is a lot of people have a hard time accepting that the actual relationship is over. You know, Mm -hmm. what I often, what I have people do in that process is they'll write down everything they want in a relationship, right? So like, what would the ideal relationship look like? And then they go through each relationship that they've been in that's significant or uh, which doesn't just mean time. It can mean impact. And then they write out they go through that audit and they check off if those people had that or didn't in the relationship, not necessarily values or characteristics, but the experience, like we, uh, communicate well, we, you know, things like that. And inevitably no joke people land somewhere around 30 to 60% for most of their past relationships. And I would say a pastoral, you know, a healthy relationship isn't a hundred percent. It's like 80 to a hundred because mm-hmm. you're never, it's not always going to be perfect. And the idea that it will is sort of a, what creates disappointment in the relationship itself. And so if you look back at your past relationships and you actually assess based on what you know you want now, based on what you know you loved in previous relationships and didn't like, and anything you didn't like actually creates a desire for something you do want. And most people write down what they don't want in relationships, which is really interesting, but then you're focused on those things. So you're like, "Eh." but it's (laughs) right. And it's to be able to take them to a moment of growth is to, is to look at what you've been through, what was the pain, where were the injuries, where was betrayal, where were you let down? Why did it end? How did you show up? How are you part of that outcome? Even if this is a, you know, a challenging point for people to even understand because they get so reactive about it. But even if we've been cheated on in some way, we were part of that story. You know, like maybe we didn't use our voice. Maybe we ignored uh, red flags. Maybe we ignored subtle cues. Maybe we ignored our intuition. So being able to take responsibility for our role completely and not allowing any of these little uh, nuances that we let go because we don't want to deal with the pain of the reality that we missed that or we didn't listen to that or our friends told us and we were like, no, you know, making excuses for our partner. So when we can actually face the truth, then we'll grow. Because when you face the truth, you're holding on to the reality of what happened. Then there's no longer this other story that you've made up in your head. You're actually able to learn from reality. And then when you do that, you don't feel like you're going crazy anymore because you you live in a world that's real. Mm -hmm. And most of us don't consider the roles we participated in. We think about how we've been wronged in relationship, but we don't think about how we were even part of that. How we, every relationship is a dance of two people. And it's not to say that someone getting cheated on, it's their fault. That's not what I'm saying. It's how did we participate? How did we let ourselves down? Did we abandon ourselves? That's such a great question. You know, Mm -hmm. did I leave me to stay in this relationship? Did I make being connected to them more important than being connected to me? what valuable information.
0: Yeah. And also so common, like I, I can't even, I, it's hard sometimes for me to find relationships that I admire and want to look up to where I want to learn from in my life because I feel like there's so many uh, women who I love who are giving up themselves in some way. Like how do you decide what it looks like to be compromising versus what it looks like to be giving up yourself?
1: Oh, what a great question. You know, where's the line between compromise and self abandonment? Mm-hmm. Well between so let's compromise is ultimately that two two people In the case of a, let's not go into polyamory there. That'll get more complicated. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Compromise will be very mixed up there. But in this scenario, you have two people who have two uh, different deferring desires or things they want to move towards. A compromise is finding a unified goal that feels expansive and deepening for the relationship. So although I might be disappointed that, let's say you want to do your master's degree and I want to live in Denver and you're like, yeah, but the master's program is here. The compromise might be, hey, let's go do your master's degree. We'll spend the two years there. But then after that, we go to Denver. Mm -hmm. Both people win. So, you know, in compromises, it doesn't feel like you have to lose part of yourself, that you have to self-abandon to stay in the relationship as where self-abandonment is really that you feel severed from yourself. You feel like you'll start to feel resentment. Resentment is a great sign that you've self-abandoned. You know, know, resentment uh, is a hundred percent of the time, always an invitation to place a boundary somewhere or express a need.
0: Mm, I love that. And it's so true. And it sneaks up on you. And I also know like speaking of resentment and all that, like, there's some people who go through breakups and their ex moves on really quick or they're kind of navigating like social media. Like I had a friend this week whose ex is liking her pictures. Ugh. It's like, it, what is that? I don't I don't even want to entertain though. What does it mean that he's liking her pictures? But like <laughs> what? Cause it could mean so many things, but I guess it's like, A, what do you do with the ex who moves on quickly? And also, what do you do with the ex that like keeps wanting to stay in your life? Like, how does somebody create an actual clean healing break? I think that's my third question that I just asked you in one sentence.
1: (laughs) No, I, okay. So how, why do they interact? And then how do we actually clean, you know, clean it up? So the number one thing that I emphasize always is that Post-breakup, the most important thing it must be is the priority of our own healing. That's the most important thing. And so for me, it's a non-option. I I might still have love for the person. And when my relationship ended last August, filled with love, so much love, so much reverence, so much respect. And immediately when we broke up, I said, I cannot be in contact with you uh, for the next three months for sure. And I said, I'll reach out to you when I'm, when I'm capable. And we agreed upon that and there was no contact because for me, it's all about me getting back to a healthy place first. That's it. My, My number one goal is my healing. And so the first thing I always say to people is unfollow if you need to block. So this, if you need to block, block them. Like they go, yeah, but you know what? It's not really that big of a deal. Oh yeah. Tell me that when one of their picture flows up in your feed or they double tap on one of your pictures and all of a sudden you're going down story lane, what does it mean? right? Mm. It derails your whole day. It can derail your moment that morning. You could be about to be in a work meeting and you see something like that. And your cognitive space is being used up with ruminating and catastrophizing. So I don't actually settle for that kind of bullshit answer. I'm like, no, if you want to put your healing first, that's what you do. Now, if you still have respect and love and reverence in the relationship, you could say to them, look, I'm going to unfollow you and I'm going to block you because I don't want your stuff coming up on my feed. I expressed that. And, you know, that's that's because you can, you can express that. And if their feeling is why or their emotional reaction to your desire, uh, that's not your responsibility.
0: Yeah. Again,
1: well, trying to take responsibility for it is, again, more of the codependence, more of the self-abandonment. If I'm worried about your feelings over my healing, I'm abandoning myself.
0: Yeah. Totally. Well, here's then. Here's the tricky question that I think is probably present for a lot of people is like, maybe you've been broken up for like a couple of months or longer, but they're interacting with your stuff, and maybe as they're listening to this podcast with us, Mark, they're like, "Damn, I need that. I need that space. My this is blocking my healing or blocking my processing." What What would be the? I don't want to say like etiquette, but kind of like, what would you recommend as far as etiquette if if somebody needs to like almost reestablish communication to ask for them to stop communication. And there's such an irony in that. Do you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I totally get what you mean. Well, the first part is like, if it's someone who ghosted you or you dated and they never treated you with respect anyway, fucking block them, get rid of them, unfollow them, have them unfollow you. Like you can make it so they unfollow you. You just click on their little thing and say, remove as a follower, boom, done. We have to stop worrying about other people's feelings in that sense. And again, I'm not advocating for people being malicious. I'm advocating for people advocating for themselves. And so if you're, let's say two months in and you're listening to this as, as you're saying, and you're like, ah, well, I actually need that. Let's do that. Yeah. You can reach out to them and you say, you know, I've really realized in the last couple of months that us still being connected is really getting in the way of my healing. And what I need in order to heal is I'm going to remove you as a follower. I'm going to remove you from my feed. And I, my boundary is that I am asking you to not contact me. If I would like to be in contact, I'll reach out to you. Um, thank you very much. And you could say something like that. You could say, how does that, you could say, how does that sit for you? Because boundaries really are also conversations. If you've mm-hmm. navigated a boundary well as two people... You deepen the intimacy and trust in the relationship. So really, you also just made a massive deposit in your own self-worth by saying, my healing comes first. My feelings come first. So many people put other people's feelings ahead of their own and that's why when i say you know you if you don't look at your relational history and what has happened then you'll keep repeating it because that self abandonment piece is so essential to understand where do you do it why do you do it what emotions are you afraid of experiencing there could be trauma related to that so there's so many things that are important to look into that allow you to show up in relationships in the future where you don't you feel whole where you feel like You're you're you won't be afraid of going deeper because, you know, you've always got your own back and that way you won't be hitting upper limits anymore, which is a big deal.
0: Well, this actually brings me into like a meaty one. And I have no idea what your answer is going to be. This one feels meaty. So like there's boundaries, but then there's also, we, we talk about the ex double tapping and liking a picture, but what happens when you've been in a very long relationship, let's say it's five, 10 years, you get out, but the ex is still linked to your family. Mm. Maybe they're best friends with your sister. I've seen this. And you know, the person who wants to heal doesn't want the ex anywhere around. Number one, like how can you interpret the reaction with the person who's trying to heal? Because for example, I know somebody who their ex is friends with people in their family and it really bothers them years later. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they judge themselves like, am I not over this person? Why does it bother me? I think that they're over the person, but it just bothers them. So what would be uh, an interpretation you have about why that might still bother somebody? Um, And also what suggestions would you have for somebody to kind of like navigate that kind of situation?
1: Well, I first say that interpretation of self, that like, am I not over this person? Is that why it bothers me? Um, That often is just the minimization that there was a boundary that needed to be placed. And so they make it about themselves, that it's Mm -hmm. something flawed with them, as opposed to seeing that... A oh, human has a right to a, a line being drawn around their desire for healing and safety. And so there's an innate feeling there of a lack of safety and security. And these are family relationships. So, you know, ultimately we think like, you know, at the most important thing is that my, our relationship is preserved over your relationship to my ex. Yeah. And, And so there likely were probably some important conversations that needed to happen with the family. So you might say, look, I know you're really close with them in the future for the next while till I feel like I'm okay with it. I need them to not be invited to things that we do together. I need them to not be at events or at least give me a heads up if they're going to be there so I can have the choice to not go. Yeah, You know, we think like if we don't want to go to a social event because our ex is there, that it means something about us. Like I should be the bigger person. No, you should honor what your body is telling you. So when you put your body in situations that are unsafe, you're saying it's okay to go into those situations. So you send the message to yourself that you don't even have your own back. You know, and that, again, you know, it's like, let's say uh, you're your sister or brother or best friends with your ex it's being able to say like how do how do we honor my healing and Mm -hmm. your relationship with them i'm not asking you to choose i'm asking you to support me in my healing And how can we do it so you still feel like you're able to be connected to them and I can heal? And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. that can, I think when it's a conversation and not made so much a black and white sort of situation, then there's a, a a resolution that could be found.
0: Mm, I love that. And it sounds like implicit in your insight, there is the belief that it's okay At least the way I hear you holding it, that there's both. Like somebody needs a boundary, but it it doesn't mean they can ask their family member to release that person from their life.
1: Well, if you're asking them to release that person from their life, then you're really asking them to punish that person. And so Mm -hmm. when it comes from that state, then it's actually coming from anger and fear. Mm -hmm. And that's hoping they hurt. So when you make a boundary that comes from a place of hurt, it's a wall. When you make a boundary that comes from a place of love, it's a whole boundary, you know, it's coming from a desire to protect the desire to put up a boundary like I'm going to block you because I want to hurt their feelings is different than I'm going to block you because I need to protect myself.
0: Okay, this is so great. And this also gets me thinking a little bit about like COVID. Like I feel like it's such a funky time in the world. Yeah. Bad time, weird time, like successful time for a lot of people too. It's, it's such, it's so all over the board. But one thing I know that's definitely happening is, um, a lot of exes or even just old flings are like reemerging in people's DMS or text messages. What do you think that's about? Where these like weird ghost flames are just kind of trolling their <laughs> <by laughs> <your> way phone? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I wrote an article for Harper's Bazaar on this about you. Of course
0: you, know, you did.
1: <laughs> right. It was about the pandemic X, the ghost. Oh, era.
0: that's amazing.
1: Well, I, I think what got brought up from that was, um, you know, fear of death. Fear of death has been prevalent for all of us, it's been really explicit. And so, in that fear, is you know, the, I don't want to die alone. I'm going to go in that state of avoidance of self. I'm going to go reach out to these people. You know, I, I was speaking to a friend about it who was saying, Oh yeah, like this person just sent me a picture. You know, that's the classic one. It's like, you tell them that you don't want to talk anymore. And then they text you a fucking Christmas or like they they pass a coffee shop. They get a coffee and they're like, Oh, I just passed, you know, whatever Tim Hortons. And I was thinking about you. Um, (laughs) And, and you're like, fuck off, you know, like, well, the first thing I, you know, whenever someone violates a boundary, it means it needs a consequence. So the first time you lay a boundary, you don't need to say like, Hey, if you contact me, I'm going to block you. But when they do contact you, say you're in violation of a boundary and a value that I hold in relationships is respect. And I feel not respected by you. If you contact me again, I will block you. And so you raise the level of response. You have to remember that a a boundary always has to have a consequence and that consequence always has to be something you're willing to do. Otherwise Mm -hmm. it's just a suggestion. So Mm -hmm. in the case of this, you know, I asked my friend who said, oh, you sent a picture and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why are you still talking to them? Yeah. Well, why are you still talking to them? Like if you don't want it, like you're the one who's still open to receiving the messages. You can't blame them if you don't have a fortified wall. If you haven't, like the moment you allow something in, you're now you you you're responsible for it if you allow it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, and that's you know, we we all felt that sense in in quarantine. I think in COVID times, that sense of loneliness, that sense of fear, especially if we were single. And so we. This shows you what we do when we're in a scarce mindset and we're in a mindset of fear is we settle for anything. We settle for connection, not healthy connection, not secure connection. And that's what comes from a state of, I don't believe I'm worthy of more than this. And th- it's by saying no to those things that you actually create the worthiness. So mm-hmm. that's the irony is you have to reject the invitation. Now, so often we'll be like, yeah, but maybe they changed, maybe quarantine shifted their blah, 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 blah. You know, we have all the excuses in the world and then they show themselves to be who they were. And so that's our invitation again to learn, you know?
0: Yes, I've seen. It's like everything you say is giving me more questions. I feel like this episode could literally be marked just like five hundred questions from Ashley. So I'm ready to fire <laughs> fire hose coming. So I also, I know I kind of mentioned this earlier. Like, is there something about exes moving on fast? Because I'm sure sometimes. Oh, yeah because and, and, i think that creates a different dimension of healing where people got hurt in the loss and then they got hurt in kind of like seeing them with somebody else really soon and i know social media makes it grieving pretty challenging some more maybe not maybe it just puts it all in your face and then you grieve faster i don't know right but what's your thought about people who are moving on fast outside of the possibility that maybe they just had really good luck and actually found their person really fast
1: well you know the ending of a relationship in and of itself is a trauma So every time you look at their social media, you're re-traumatizing yourself. You have to think about it with that level of severity, you know? And so you'll continue to get the cascade, you know, when your body, when you see, like, I remember seeing, uh, when I was on Facebook, you know, years ago, seeing a picture of my ex with a new partner and, and my body just responded. You get the flooding, you know, your heart rate goes up. You can feel your face turn red and your brain doesn't work anymore. You know, (laughs) like your brain's like, I'm out. Like we're fucked and so Mm -hmm. uh, you're on your own and then you're like putting on taylor swift and starting to quote weird shit you know so you got we have to be mindful that the body's responses doesn't it doesn't work well in those situations so that's why i always recommend don't follow them let go of that stuff because that doesn't help your healing i'm going to fucking keep yelling that from the rooftops but in the context of when they move on quickly well first off when someone ends a relationship you know i i would imagine most people have ended a relationship When you end a relationship, by the time you do it, you've usually processed it. You've usually processed the ending. You've prepared yourself. You've come to terms with the ending. And so you're usually quite far ahead than the person who's having the relationship ended on them. Although they saw the signs and you know, when you want to end a relationship and then your partner ends it on you and you're like, fuck, and then you're heartbroken, but you're like, I was going to end it. So it doesn't make sense, but it's a weird conundrum Mm -hmm. that humans are in. But when When we have ended it, we often want an amicable relationship right away, too, because we are, one, further ahead, and two, we don't want to see the impact of our ending on the other person. We want to make sure everything's okay and they still like us, they still care about us, which is actually quite a selfish thing to do. Yeah. Um, and and for the other person they're way behind so they still haven't processed this and when someone moves ahead quickly so it could be one that they've been processing it for months and years right um and so when it finally ends you know they're they're almost ready to be i wouldn't say ready to be in a relationship but they've they're further ahead the other side is we often move from relationship to relationship to avoid being alone. Because yeah. when we're alone, we have to sit with ourselves. We have to take responsibility for who we are. We, When we're busy and being taken up by the elation of the honeymoon phases of love, we are not in stillness. We're not in yeah. silence. And so being a relationship addict, being a love addict, being someone who is constantly in pursuit, always on dating apps, always, always swiping. Always in, in that is the fear of, of of silence, the fear of aloneness, the fear of being with ourselves, the fear of just sitting still.
0: Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Organifi, and if you didn't hear last month, they did the Golden Trio promo, that's Organifi Gold, Organifi Chocolate Gold, and Organifi Pumpkin Spice. These are my three absolute favorite products from Organifi, all turmeric-based powders with mushrooms and all sorts of Ayurvedic herbs and multivitamins that help you have such a healthier day, and it really helps, of course, that they taste super good. What I do every single afternoon is I pick one of these three and I warm up some coconut milk. I pour a little scoop into it and I use a frother to turn it into a perfect little afternoon latte tonic. It is such a vitamin packed treat and I want to make sure you know that they are promoting the Golden Trio right now with the free frother from October 15th to October 29th. So make sure you go on over to Organifi.com you turn that's o-r-g-a-n-i-f-i.com slash y-o-u-t-u-r-n and make sure you use your u-turn code for 15% off so that you can get that trio and a free frother if you haven't already these are my three favorite products I feel like all of them are my favorite but this particular trio just gives me such a little sweet tooth fix that I had to promote it and make sure you knew about it and now back to this week's episode And I wonder what that's, what do you, what would you argue that's really about? Like the fear of being with yourself? Is it that there's like so many feelings that somebody has from their life that they don't want to sit with and that's why they're too busy and hiding in other people? Or what would be your take on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, people become... I mean, it's it, people become their their emotional prostitute in some sense. You know that yeah. they become a band aid to presence with themselves. You know, fear of facing who they are, fear of facing how they show up in life, fear of facing what's happened to them in their lifetime. So you know, it could be both from I don't I'm uh, I don't want to face the shame of who I am and the choices I make and how I use people or how I end things or anything like that. And I also get affirmation by someone caring about me, someone having sex with me, someone loving me. And then there's the other side, which is I've been hurt, I've been traumatized. And so sitting with the stillness of those feelings. So it doesn't always come from a narcissistic side. It can come or from a fear based of our own behavior. It can come from a fear of uh, hurt that's happened to us that we haven't Mm -hmm. processed. So, you know, it's really important that for both sides that we go get uh therapy or go process any un- unresolved trauma too.
0: Yeah, totally. And I, I also know that especially with men and I hate to genderize it if that's even a word, but it feels like they have a harder time accessing their feelings. Um, like I've spoken to so many different men in my practice where I'm like, do you feel what I just told you? And they're like, I don't know why, but I can't feel that. And I'm like <laughs> something worth feeling. So um, do you have any thoughts just about from like a gender standpoint, like the ma- male brain versus the women brain when it comes to processing a breakup?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, you sort of nailed it right there with that. I mean, men have been severed from their feelings since they're born, you know? And mm-hmm. so the, if you listen to men and women speak, you know, a man will generally ask, what do you think? And a woman will ask, how do you feel? So yeah. it shows you that one lives in a more cerebral space. and that's because that's where survival is born. You know, you, when you look at the research, if you give someone a baby and you tell them it's a boy and you give someone a baby and you tell them it's a girl, they treat them differently right away. And that is both a socialization aspect that we expect men to hold space for partners, no matter the gender, but let's speak in a a heteronormative sense, but it doesn't matter the gender that, you know, we, we want our partner to hold space for us. And yet that male partner doesn't know how to hold space for themselves. And no one, including society has ever held space for them. So how do you expect something from someone who has never had the behavior modeled to them to all of a sudden provide that it's, it's the most unrealistic expectation. And, you know, historically, We sent men to war, which I know any, you know, it doesn't matter your gender now, you can go to war, but we sent men to war and they watch their friends die beside them and then they come back and they're expected to just integrate. And so that alone, I mean, we're not good at processing emotion generally because we don't know how to hold it. We're, we, men really only feel safe to have aggression or moderate bouts of happiness, you know, and- And so there's not really that many emotions available. And so it's, I, I think as a gender, it's harder for us to process it. And then, you know, I can't speak as a woman, but I can speak about what I know is that, you know, women tend to feel like they're either too much, you know, that they're too much, they're too emotional. But they're really not. It's, you know, there are reasons that we can be overtly emotional, of course, but they're generally not too emotional. They're just too emotional for the containers that can't hold them because we don't know how if they're dating men, you know, we don't know how. And so we're learning how, you know, at least the social dynamics are changing when you look at um, a male brain versus a female brain during times of uh, uh, puberty you know, there's more interconnections between the left and right hemisphere of the female brain. And so that's postulated to be the reason that there's more female journalists, that women are better communicators, that they're able to access emotion and understand it better. So I think it's one part socialization. And the other part is that different parts of our brains developed from an evolutionary point of view too. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, those are all, I mean, the, the part about they developed evolutionarily differently, that's also, you know, theoretical.
0: You know, it's interesting with you saying this because what's coming up is a a reflection of a friend of mine who is probably, you may know him, but he did a mastermind group. It was really high level and it was take your seven figure business to eight figures. And he had a group of women and men who were working with him. And when he opened up that level of mastermind, they were all seven figure business owners presented this offer. But um, out of the 10 spots, nine men joined and one woman joined. I was like, that's interesting. It was like half women, half men in his regular seven figure mastermind. But when it came to making it, Eight, like most of the people who joined were men. And I was thinking about it and I was talking to the girls, and it seemed like the feedback I got from them was like, we're burnt out. Like, we don't want to get to the next level right now. We're too tired. Um, and it almost seems like biologically, men, you know, th- their bodies are equipped to push through in a way that women's bodies might not necessarily have. Um, But then again, I'm I'm very far away from a science professor over here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, as soon as you said it, my immediate thought is that women seek more balance. Like, that was my immediate thought. So when you said what their feedback was, I totally understand that is that male status is found in their ability to provide and be a high status male is by the amount of stuff they have the amount of power that they have. So it doesn't shock me that men who are already in and this isn't a judgment, but I'm saying like, it doesn't shock me that men who have seven figure businesses want eight, as where women are like, I got seven, like, it's cool. I'd rather Have balance. I'd rather be around friends and family. Not to say that it can't exist on the female side. I would just imagine it's far less, of course, because, in what is, uh, I mean, even if you look at the intersections of how uh, privilege is created, I mean, there's not really many blocks for a male, you know, in terms of achieving that.
0: Yeah, totally. It's so interesting, even with me with my book. Like, um, I've been pitching a lot of podcasts and it's fun to see a lot of women's podcasts, but the biggest ones for me to get on are men. And um it almost feels like I'm not friends with as many guys, Mm. you know? I have a lot of girlfriends. And so my girlfriends are helping me get on girlfriends podcasts, and I'm lucky to be friends with you, but it's like I'm noticing even from like an advantage standpoint, I'm like, damn, all my guys in business circles like you know, they know these guys, but I'm not good enough friends to ping them and ask all these favors. Do you know what I mean? So I can, I'm feeling the privilege and I actually hate that I'm admitting that because there's something really comforting to me in my days at the Pentagon of, of thinking it was an equal playing field. There's something very comforting to believe that even if it's not true.
1: Yeah. Well, it's comforting. And I think for, you know, as as I reflect on how that sits in my own body is there's comfort in thinking that that doesn't exist, of course, because there's responsibility with it not existing. That, that, that there's a desire to create and fight for equality, and yeah. you know the. I, I would imagine, I think out of all the top podcasts in the world, um, there's that one women's podcast. That's really funny. I forget what it's called though, but there's a really good podcast that I've listened to called guys. We fucked. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's all about like, um, destigmatizing uh, female oh, sexuality. Wow. There are two female comedians. They're hilarious, but you know, like you think about, the top podcasts in the world. I I guess I never thought about it till you said it, but I I think they must, I think they are men, aren't they?
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, you actually mentioned something earlier I want to pull on, which was talking about how men necessarily weren't modeled like holding space because, you know, people didn't hold it for them. There was a lot of genderizing as far as them having to kind of like keep calm and carry on regardless of whether they went to war and people died or they had traumas that happened. It seems like we just as a society haven't encourage men to feel their feelings. And so what, what this brings me to is a lot of relationships where I think a lot of women especially feel like, man, I have all these feelings and why can't this guy hold space for it? Or why can't he hear it? Or why can't he validate me? And I understand there's the extreme side of the spectrum where it's like, well, he can't validate you because he's a narcissist and you yeah. should to get out of the relationship. But <laughs> there's also that middle ground where it's like, oh, my guy just needs to learn how to like feel his feelings so that he can then have space for mine. So Where is that line, would you say, of like, this guy just isn't good news for me or this woman, you know, in the less common circumstance, I would assume, can't feel her feelings and be like a good person to hear me and be there for me versus this person needs to grow and I'm going to hold space for them to grow and learn how to do this.
1: Well, just the desire to want to understand our partner is a pretty big deal, you know? So if your partner is like, I want to learn how to learn how to be, you know, in a space for you, how to hold space for you. I want to even learn what the fuck hold space means, (laughs) right? And that just owning that is a really big deal. And also when our partners are expressing themselves, that we allow them space to get it wrong, I mean, Mm -hmm. so many of the times we might be like, how do you feel? And then they're like, I feel this. Oh, you can't feel that way. And so there's, we're going to get the wrong words with the wrong feelings a lot when we're learning this language. I still do that, you know, where I'm like, "Uh, I think I feel this way. And it's like, no, actually it's this. And so Mm -hmm. we have to start to see that there needs to be space given, you know, if you're 35 year old female and you're dating a 35 year old male. And he's just beginning his emotional journey because he loves you so much. He wants to learn. That's a big deal. And that he's willing to step into the vulnerable humility that's required to say, I don't know how to do this. That's huge. And to recognize that he has 35 years less training. And so that's a, knowing that will at least give us some compassion. Not to say that you shouldn't have the desire and the standard that, you know, like we certainly all have the right for the safety to be heard, the safety to speak our feelings. And um, I think the real line is, is your partner willing to create and learn how to create that space with you? You know, I certainly don't think you should stay with anyone or be in a relationship or settle for one where there's no space for your emotional experience. You know, a lot of the times there's not space for the emotional experience because again, being more genderizing is that the male doesn't know how. So then it's you're too much, or I don't want to talk. You always want to talk. If only the men in those relationships recognized that if they learned how to have effective communication and listen, they wouldn't have to have the same fucking conversation all the time because oh their God, partner that... would finally feel understood. And so their frustration is only because of their lack of skill set, but it takes mm-hmm. the humility to say, I don't know. And also, a lot of the times in those circumstances, the there can be a bulldozing of emotion that puts the other partner, again, it doesn't really matter the gender combination, but there can be a bulldozing or a flooding of the emotion onto the partner looking for them to affirm it and validate it. It's not my job to validate your feelings. You validate your feelings just by expressing them. It's my job to hear them. But if you you say you're sad and I say, no, you're not, or yes, you are, that's me validating your feelings. It's okay that you're sad. I don't have to validate it. Your emotional experience is your validation.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But I do have to sit and I'm not going to sit and say, well, I, you know, your sadness isn't okay. (laughs) Right. Because it might be in a situation where I don't experience sadness, but I would say, yeah, you have the right to your sadness. Tell me more about it. You know, the best question you can ask when someone expresses a feeling is you say, tell me more about that.
0: Mm, Okay, so I feel like some people might be applying some of the stuff we talked about earlier, like grabbing on to the lesson that needs to kind of crystallize to release the X. But I feel like there's also probably a population listening to us who are like, I don't know, I keep thinking about him because I think I made a mistake. And you know, two years later, I kind of want to reconnect and see if it's possible. What insight would you have on like going back and making that decision?
1: Well, I, I think the first recognition is that whenever, wherever you hold regret, you are imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, as soon as you say, I regret that, and then I say, I wish I had that moment back where I said that thing differently or I did that thing, you clearly have a moment in time that you learned that a better behavior was available to you. And so whenever we learn that a better behavior was available to us, we experience shame, healthy shame. Um, And so the way to let go of the regret, because most people, when they live in regret, is they live in the desire to repeat the moment so that they can get the outcome they think their life would currently be in had they not done that thing. Does that Mm. make sense? Yeah. So if I didn't lose my temper, if I didn't do that thing, then we'd be together and we'd still be happy. And that's not true because you can't know that's true because that reality doesn't exist. Mm. Right. So we live in this constant state where we think that our life should be in a different position than it is. So then we will live in a perpetual state of pain. This is also what happens to people when they think about their childhood. I deserved a different childhood than the one I had. Sure, you were worthy of a different childhood than the one you had, but you still had the childhood you had. Yeah. So I'm not invalidating someone's beautiful recognition that they were worthy of better behavior. It's that the belief that something else existed that doesn't exist will create pain.
0: I love
1: this. Right. So So when we think about regret, the freedom from it is to look at that moment where you wish you had done something differently and to then become that. Because as you focus on the old moment, you miss all of the moments that currently exist in your life for you to be different, for you to be that person. And so the next time you get into a situation that is moderately or even mildly similar, it could be just a totally different situation, but invites the same level of integrity from you, you will make a different choice. You would never have made that choice if you didn't have that moment. And so the release of the past is always about having gratitude and sitting down the younger versions of yourself that you've exiled for the mistakes you've made, they've made. Mm -hmm. And you sit them down and you say, thank you. What do you have to teach me? Why have I sent you away? Bring the lesson, bring the wisdom. And what you do is you start to become integrated. You start to become whole. You start to become an adult. And, And so when we get back to... Okay, I have that regret. I made that mistake. We haven't talked for a few years. We ran into each other, or I noticed they're single again and I'd like to reach out to them. Mm. One thing I want to point out that I didn't mention before is that we often also don't let go of past people because we haven't actually apologized and owned our side of the story. Mm. So that's part of the completion that's also required. Wow. Yeah, we often think about the apologies we're owed, not the apologies we owe.
0: Wow. I love that. And I, and this actually perfectly segues into a question that I I often have for friends, which is them navigating that maybe one person you were saying, you know, wants full on space and they never want to circle back to a friendship. But then there's always those exes that are like, can we become good friends? Like, what are your beliefs about exes and friendship?
1: Well, I think if the desire is to hold friendships so that you don't have to sit with the pain that's been created, then it's really, as I said earlier, it's like to band-aid the truth, you know? Yeah. Um, Because you need some validation that you're not a bad person, that you're not whatever. Um, Mm Yeah. But you can, of course, be in a healthy relationship with a past partner. I think if that relationship is taking away from the intimacy of the future relationships or it holds you back, like if you secretly want to be in a relationship with them, but you're settling for a friendship, then you're actually not honoring your deepest intentions. So you're abandoning yourself to be in that friendship.
0: Mm-hmm. I the, love
1: this. When I, I think the key part is if you're in a relationship, and your best friends with your exes, you have to ask which relationships are more important. You know, it's it's not that you have to abandon that friendship or abandon. It's if your partner is uncomfortable and they're a secure person and they're uncomfortable with your relationship with that person, then it's important that you honor the sacredness of the current relationship. You know, for me and i you know i think that i this is certainly true for you too uh is that the relationship itself is the most sacred connection mm-hmm. everything else is important but it's not the sacredness of the union and so my whole goal is to honor the sacredness of my partnership and and of course that involves conversations like what is, what is it about the relationship that's triggering you? Do you have a past history of being cheated on or anything like that? And the real question, because most of us, including me formally and am prone to, we can get defensive about it instead of saying, tell me more about that. What is it about that that triggers you? How could I still have that friendship and create safety for us? What would that friendship look like for you if you felt safe about me being in it. And then you get to hear your partner's view of the world. You get to hear more about their past. You get to hear what dictates safety. And what you're saying is, is that this container, this relationship has space for both of our needs. And both we both get to learn what safety means, what security means. And instead of being like, oh, well, you're just jealous. And you know this friendship is fine. You just You need to get over yourself. Mm-hmm. They might be being jealous, but what a more beautiful response to say, what is it about the relationship? What can mm-hmm. I do to help? So then you're inviting a conversation and it's, you know, cause whenever we get defensive, it's about our own protection and our own self-worth too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, well, so those of you listening, I, if you haven't seen the Mark Groves podcast, you need to get your earbuds out and listen. I'm sure there's so many people who are going to be listening after this and you're going to be uh, on it. Yeah, I'm so excited. And and I'm I'm also wondering like is there something I haven't asked you about exes that you feel like damn the, the people listening to this should really know?
1: Well, I think the um the person that when you were saying I want to complete that one question about what happens if I want to get back to th- with them after I regret yeah. is to say just reach out to them. You know, I'm interested in reconnecting. I'm not sure what that means, but do you want to grab a coffee? You know, and it's okay to do that. You know, you're the intention you start with isn't always the intention you end with, you know. And I think it's important to know that, that you can desire to enter relationship. That's what dating is. Is you're not dating someone and being like on the first date grabbing a coffee, being like, Now that I went on this date we have to get married. That's so heavy. It's like dating is sorting. That's all it is. It's sorting through what you're looking for. And Mm -hmm. so when you reconnect with an ex, you might have this dream story of what you think it's going to look like. That's going to create disappointment. Go in with just the acknowledgement that the first meeting is about just being curious. That's it. Um, I think with, I mean, with exes, we covered a lot of stuff. I mean, I think if you're, if you have someone who's on your mind holding you back, I mean, I have a whole course about it that goes through so much more of the depths. I think a real, you know, question that we emphasized a lot is, is where do you abandon yourself? You know, and, and how, how does holding on to your ex benefit you?
0: Mm-hmm. There's always something, right? Like some sort of subconscious payoff that we're not noticing in these habits and 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 when you're kind of like I don't know looking at all of the different ways you support people I know that you have your course and then you also have the do you mind well I was just looking at your handle on Instagram it's at do you mind m-i-n-e-d for those of you who want to grab access to his app right now can you tell everybody a little bit about what the app is about and um, who it's there to serve
1: Yeah. So that, thank you so much for asking. The app we developed, uh, Ashley was mentioning earlier is uh, we really wanted to create like a Peloton meets Netflix for emotional wellness. So there's nine teachers currently on there. We're going to bring more on and we're teaching about relationships, about your family history. There's therapists on there, coaches on there. We're talking about vibration. We're talking about, you know, there's um, Brandon Collingsworth is doing morning rituals. I mean, there's, so many things you can learn about on there. And we have a sex therapist. We have two, we have three marriage and family therapists. So we've got the whole gamut covered. And the, it's free to, for 2020. So hop on there and check it out. It's live and on demand classes. That uh, you can attend when they're live and then they go into a little recording library, and then you can watch a uh, different series of of different things you want to learn about your family history about sex, you can learn about so many different things i'm doing one currently on dating um, and so you can catch a class every week and and I do live q and a s on there, and I share every Sunday just like a conversation of what's coming up uh, in my field that week of what I want to talk about. And, um, yeah, so you just find You can go to do You mind on Instagram and click the link and, and download it installed on Android or iPhone.
0: Thanks again for being here and, um, everybody who wants to follow Mark other than the Mark Rose podcast and his app, just go over to Instagram at create the love. Uh, I appreciate you so much, my friend. I really, really value you and your brain and I just, I'm so glad to have you back.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm so happy that we got to connect and I so value you and your friendship and and your brain, your very funny brain. And I can't wait wait to have you on my podcast. Finally, I've been waiting as your book launched to get you on there. (laughs) I'm uh, just
0: trying to give all your listeners blue balls, just waiting for me to show up.
1: Seriously, right? Way to keep the tension alive. And (laughs) I'm so excited about your book. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. If any of our guests mention any resource that you're interested in, you can head on over to ashleystahl.com and press the podcast tab to see any show notes. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you're also going to see our brand new free quiz helping you discover which career path you're actually meant for. It's followed by tons of content-packed emails about your personality in the workforce, and of course we just can't thank you enough for your written reviews these reviews mean a lot for our show to keep getting out there so if you ever send me a dm on the gram and i'm so grateful that you have i would love it if you would copy and paste that into the podcast app of your smartphone as a written review it would mean so much for us over here at the show thanks again for being here and i can't wait to connect with you next week